Case file number 1.04, Capital Assets, observed by Agent Crenshaw. Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed to several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical information related to espionage and covert action as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security for the last 10 years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector in the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. We're breaking form from our history lessons today because, well, it's our podcast. Breaking routine, not a history uh, thing. We're talking about uh, last week. As of today, it is uh, January 13th, 2021. And I'm sure people listening in the near future and our dystopian zombie filled a wasteland of a country and world. January 6th actually had a massive protest going on in the Capitol where people breached into the Congress building. Even the people listening to the demo, maybe in the next few days, if this year's anything like last year, you have no idea what's ha- what happened recently because tomorrow feels like a year ago sometimes. Yeah, I mean, January 2020, it was wildfires in Australia. And then a month later, uh-oh, COVID. So who knows yeah. what next month will bring us. I, I believe fire and brimstone or cats and dogs living together mass hysteria. One of those two things is going to happen because, you know, you got to keep things fresh for the month after that. I've been binge watching the new Sabrina uh, season. And so I'm going with Eldra Chores from The Great Beyond. Mm, foreshadowing from spinoffs with Archie comics. I don't yeah. know that I'm ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, as we, we mentioned, or as I mentioned, um, yeah, massive protests last Wednesday and uh, people actually broke into Congress. Um, you know, watching the stream was just absolutely crazy. You know, this isn't a political podcast, so we won't get into the politics. But from the cybersecurity side, um, I'm sure you've seen and I definitely saw m- many videos and pictures of people in congressmen and congresswomen's offices. Uh, sitting right next to the computers that were completely unlocked or their laptops or anything. Yep. With their feet up on the desk. And so that calls into question a whole host of things. <clears throat> One being, did anyone actually gain access to those systems? You know, all they yep. needed was a USB drive. Physical access to a system that's unlocked, like that's the gold line. You can Yes. Yeah. Uh, in want. fact, I theorize that there's at least a risk. And if you're the United States government uh, based intelligence, you have to account for this risk that mm-hmm. there were foreign actors that were that either were infiltrated in the crowd or would be able to get access after the fact if you look at some of the previous stuff with the reports of the of the newly elected um president's son his laptop somebody got a hold of that and then it got its way to their political rivals if that can happen then if some then if somebody uh, um exfiltrated a physical device uh Mm -hmm. there's no reason to suppose that it couldn't find its way into the hands of uh foreign intelligence yeah and that's all it would take is one or two people and this was you know it was Mm -hmm. a planned a planned uh protest this was all planned it was on you know we'll we'll talk later about parlor and everything 
this mm-hmm. is all laid out and it was clear that while a lot of people just didn't know what they were doing showed up for you know the chaos there it were only people, takes one <laughs> there were a few people waltzing in there and they knew exactly what rooms to go to like mm-hmm. your average citizen is not supposed to be able to walk on the hall easily and gain access to a congresswoman especially the speaker of the house's office sit yeah. down at her desk and gain access to her computer like nothing happened yes so, there were reports of a freshman congresswoman who might have been sympathetic to the uh, invaders actually tweeting the location of the house speaker yeah i, I did see that i also saw that potentially some of the capital uh, security officers were actually yes. actively directing people which yeah, calls I, into a lot of opsec of you know yeah there's actually a lot of things yeah well and there's a lot of things that actually are, are, are pretty scary about about this that are not directly information security related that I'm mm-hmm. trying not to get too deep into. Um, yeah, yeah. More physical, physical security and everything. But, um, you know. Yeah. And use of power and stuff like that. But we still don't have a report of, um, you know, anything that was actually exfiltrated. I don't even mm-hmm. know if they made like a conscious large effort to do any full bug sweeping yet. Um, yes. And, you know, I don't personally, I don't work, you know, in, in Congress. I don't know exactly what their networks are attached to in terms of the overall, you know, political network landscape. If they have ties into the DOD network and stuff like that, or you know, if they're their own little isolated network themselves. I, well, I mean, it's one of those things where where I don't have any specific knowledge. I have mm-hmm. some things that have come up in professional conversations, but I wouldn't share them. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. not the point of what we're of what we're doing, but. You could theorize as as one of the co-equal branches of government at the top of the, at the top of branch, they have access to a lot of information. We know based on what they do to create uh, legislation that they get reports from and lobbying from um, companies and individuals that share with them proprietary but not necessarily classified information that could mm-hmm. be injurious, even if it, not to the government, to uh, various players in industry. I mean, we're talking about people that have active clearances. Yes, everybody. So everybody the information they're seeing basically can be, has access to it. Stop. Yeah, so the information they're seeing can potentially be classified, mm-hmm. and that means that Joe Schmo off the street could have potentially been looking at classified information. One hopes that that's going to be a fair, uh, a lower end risk because classified information should be uh, handled in compartments. There, just because there's yeah. so much foot traffic, I wouldn't think that they would uh, have open secret. Um, items that were classified at any official level confidential uh secret or, or top secret uh at the actual offices themselves potentially um, not you would hope so but that's a good segue to my next point <laughs> oh, good. so what what did your mind go to when you saw these pictures of like uh the congresswoman congressman you know office their laptops completely unlocked but they were obviously not there there's lots of things that scared me out of that there's the devices themselves being unlocked and powered on because since I think one of the items that you mentioned we were going to talk about a little bit uh, a little bit later, um, drive encryption is a pretty real thing on enterprise managed stuff. And that comes from some incidents that happened uh, a little while ago as in mm. why it's widespread. But also in this cloud world, one of the things I worry about is people use their personal laptops to do official business. Yeah. And those laptops don't have the same security enterprise as an enterprise device would. And mm-hmm. access to them may be essentially equal to the official government furnished equipment, even if the government furnished equipment has perfect security. Yeah, and I mean, I will say, well, uh, DAR, data at rest encryption, 
is very mm-hmm. like you know like you said it kind of mandated by the government a mm-hmm. lot of like even at nasa we do a lot of uh, rbds or risk-based decisions to mm-hmm. not put dar on any of our servers because if they reboot you yeah. know you have to enter your encryp- encryption password to bring them back up yes so we just get around that and i could imagine possibly some of these desktops sitting in an office might not have that because you know congressperson xyz ah like you know i don't want to have to deal with entering this password every time like what the hell i i'm not going to go any further than this but that is along the lines of the things that i've heard is that um there's a lot of special permissions within the within the congress uh, it or at least there used to be some of my information's pretty old but there used yeah. to be a lot of uh, i'm a powerful person and therefore i don't want to be inconvenienced kind of thing and again yeah, I mean, it's the same. Uh, <laughs> any enterprise, like I deal with rocket scientists who are the exact same way. Like, yes. you know, why should I be inconvenienced with all these security features? And why can't I hook a Raspberry Pi up to the network that I just, you know, yeah. configured in my home? I, when I worked at NIH many years ago, it was a very similar experience. You had world class cancer doctors that were running the IT themselves for their projects. And they did get what they wanted out of it, but that didn't mean that they it can necessarily conform with good security. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So your first point there of, you know, the systems being unlocked definitely raised an eyebrow on me because PIV, you know, I don't know where you work. I assume they have PIV yes, uh, across um, the board. Yeah, I, 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 the exact same way. Yes. Uh, in fact, I, uh, in my long and storied career, I actually worked at the, uh, I had some in, some input and did some work with the with the uh, federal PKI that that administers the PIV system. And for anybody who's unfamiliar, uh, PIV is the overarching smart card federation that the government uses for logons uh, and um, digital certificate uh, signing and and uh, personal identification. It's a whole big thing, but it was actually a pretty important leap forward for unifying U.S. government IT. Because any anytime I Google like you know PIV implementation and everything, I always get people asking, "What the hell do you mean by PIV?" Because it seems yeah. to be only like government, whereas it seems military uses CAC. Yes, and the, the CAC and the PIV uh, standards are similar but not identical. They they mm-hmm. do federate across, but part of the fun for anybody who's working in the government world or the defense world, uh, part of the fun of that is that basically the Defense Department kind of trusts or at least has a federation. Uh, relationship with the rest of the government, but the rest of the government doesn't necessarily trust DOD. Um, no, or maybe it's the other way around. I think it's the other way around. But uh, for a chunk of time, at least w- when I was working there, there was a lot of legacy stuff in the CAC trust pool where they were. They had a lot of old crypto because there was a lot of uh, um, devices and stuff that were just very old and didn't have the ability to support new crypto and new certificates. Yeah. I, I think it's the other way around because I know yeah, I think you're NASA, right. now we, that use, I think about we it. use a lot of DOD certs for some of our, our web pages. And mm-hmm. yeah, like your browser intrinsically entrusts NASA certs because NASA is incorporated in the browsers. Yes, yeah, you know, you're right. So, D- we, yes, uh, yeah. civilian trusts DOD and DOD doesn't trust civilian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, yes, you're right. I, I, I got it. I got it mixed up when I was talking about it. But yeah, but like tangent aside, um, you know, one of the implementations of PIV is that when you pull PIV out of your reader, your system locks, you know, if you're going to go that up. That is not necessarily true. It's not. It's 
it, it's, it's, a, it it's is, a policy and it's yeah. the best po it's the best practice but it is yeah, not it's, always it's not implemented in the wild it is you know dod dhs's policy yeah. that they try to mandate but well i've been to places where that's true and i've even been to places that have attempted to implement that i've definitely mm -hmm. been to places that have that do it for most people but don't necessarily enforce it on some people and a lot of times that's actually the highly privileged users because they have to move their piv from one system to another in order to, to do uh, uh privileged actions yeah yeah aha <laughs> so in looking up that because i was like wait, wait a second do senators not have piv like i don't understand you know why they why they would not i came across the article from ars technica which was in uh, 2017 that kind of touches on the opm breach which i won't go into but that breach was a major issue because PIV hadn't been set up across a lot of those systems. And there was a huge push to, you know, okay, we need to implement PIV now because yeah. holy crap, we lost a lot of data because of this. However, Congress did not adhere to its own uh, advice on that subject. Um, I have a quote Shock, here. Shocked, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of my favorite qu quotes from, uh, from one of the folks that I've always admired in the InfoSec world, Dan Kaminsky, is the closer you are to security policy, the less you have to obey it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, in, in this article, they, they cited a quote by uh, Senator Ron Wyden, a uh, Democrat from Oregon, who uh, said, by mid-2016, uh, 80% of all agencies were using PIV cards to log into federal IT systems. Today, the Senate neither requires nor offers two-factor authentication as an additional protection for desktop They don't even offer it? Nope. The Senate wow. Sergeant at Arms does not require two-factor authentication for staff who wish to log into Senate IT systems from home using a VPN. That guy should be fired. Oh wait, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Moreover, in contrast to the executive branch's widespread adoption of PIV cards with a smart chip, most Senate staff ID cards have a photo of a chip printed on them rather than a real chip. Given the talk about security theater. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Given the significant investment by executive branch and smart chip-based two-factor authentication, we should strongly consider issuing our staff real chip-based ID cards rather than them using chips with a photo printed on them. So, yeah, I, I had heard this thing about uh, the photo of a chip in passing. I think I was watching a uh, Twitch streamer last week, and he just so mentioned that, like, oh, yeah, no, senators just have a picture of a smart card chip they don't actually have smart cards. And I was like, that can't be true. And then I found this article. So it's been reported by a reputable place. Yes. Even if we don't, if I, neither of us has personal. Yeah. And that was only experience with it. Mid 2016, 2017. I yeah. highly doubt that has changed. It's probably my, my experience with the current administration is that that is not a direction where I think that they would have made an improvement. Now, considering the head of cybersecurity was tweeting out his password to Twitter. I can't imagine. So well, no, actually, I'm going to say over the last four or five years, there has been a lot of focus on cloud that has moved the ball forward. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to refrain from the rant, but to say that they've done nothing probably wouldn't be fair. There might have been some, but the article continues to say that in March, uh, Republican Senator Marco Rubio of Florida revealed that his presidential campaign staff was targeted by hackers operating from Russia twice in July of 2016 and again in March. Also in March, Senator Ben Sass, a Republican from Nebraska, reported that there had been hacking attempts on basically every device, every platform, personal and government associated with him or his office following his criticism of WikiLeaks. Obviously, they're going to be targets. Like They have yeah. obtained classified information and you know don't have smart cards or a PIV or anything like that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that they're targeted is one thing. This is speaking to what kind of defenses that they had. And they didn't have the the best in the business if they didn't have a strong two-factor. Exactly. So like you mentioned um, earlier about, um, you know, data at rest encryption and everything like that. You know, we can go back to uh, 2007 when uh, Ohio governor reported that a disk had been stolen from an intern's apartment. I don't know why they allowed the intern to take a hard drive from whatever building he was working in back to his apartment because this hard drive in question contained 786,000 taxpayers' information with 561,126 taxpayers' uh, information that, w- that showed they had uncashed state refund checks listed on that device. And all of the information that you would use to authenticate. Yeah, exactly. The device had uh, all their social security numbers, all their names on it. This um, seems like a kind of an obvious way to monetize that. <laughs> yeah. And no article that I could find mentioned anything about this having any sort of encryption. However, it did say that the governor you know, said like, oh, it's very doubtful. It would take a lot of expertise to break into the system. If it didn't have any encryption, it, it doesn't take that much. Every impression I got when I heard about that, and there were, I think, a couple more incidents that were somewhat similar to that, that were all within the same time period, that mm. they did not have disk level in, uh, encryption. The only thing that they might have that might have confounded somebody who had basic cursory forensic understanding uh, might have been if it were an array drive, because it's actually kind of hard to recover data off of a, a striped array, a RAID 4, a RAID, well, we call used to call it RAID 4, RAID 0. Um, right. A RAID 0 or a RAID 5 without reconstructing the entire array. But, I can't imagine it was RAID because this intern took it home. So why would he if, take one disk out of a raid? Well, one reason why it might be, because uh, I remember back in the day when me and some of my friends managed to, from failing dot coms and whatnot, get some server level equipment for our own home use. A friend of mine mm. even uh, used to annoy his parents because he'd unplug their dryer in order to run his Origin 100 system. Um, <laughs> but uh if that drive, if assuming it was a server-striped drive, if he had mm. the equipment to use it, this is an outside chance of a thing to do. I genuinely think it was a regular drive. And yeah, that's that's what I'm, I'm assuming, especially it just being an intern. I imagine it was just, yeah, yeah like Honestly, a portable hard um, disk. It's very simple. Anybody who's listening, who's tried to, re- to recover some, wants to do some basic disk recovery stuff, Attaching the drive and booting to one of several live Linux systems will will let you reset a password on older Windows, change registry entries, recover block by block stuff, uh, or any file on a disk, mount the disk, and 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 that's again a pretty trivial thing uh, that doesn't require any special equipment or not and not very much special knowledge. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I remember at one point I got into the whole like dumpster diving craze that was mm-hmm. uh, going on. And I was dumpster diving behind some retail stores in Maryland. And I actually found someone had thrown out a desktop that had all the disks still slotted in it. No degaussing. They didn't try to um, drill. No sanitization. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, if I actually cared, I could probably find a lot of stuff on this, but had no desire to bring home that stuff. Yeah. My favorite technique for ghetto disabling a drive is, is unscrewing the top cover and, and uh, turning a, a bottle of a, uh, compressed air quote unquote upside down <laughs> and spraying it onto the platters no. um 
Uh, I've never been able to get a driver to read after that, but I'm not certain that it's like totally secure. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, um, you know, out of the wake of the whole capital thing, like I said earlier, um, a lot of this was organized on an app called Parler. Um, mm -hmm. Most people are probably familiar with Parler that are listening to it now because it's been all of it in the news. But it's yeah. more or less just a chat program that was trying to take the place of um, Twitter, Facebook, any platform like that, and cited itself cited itself as the most secure social networking app. Didn't they require actual verifiable identification in order to join? They required a photo of your driver's license if you were going to be a premium member. Okay. That's yeah. still a little scary, but okay. Yeah, kind of strange also considering um, all that information was found out. <laughs> so turns out that the quote-unquote most secure application um, for social media was, in fact, not that secure. As of right now, Amazon has ceased hosting Parler, and they are, I believe, now actively talk in talks with whoever hosts 8chan and a few of those other websites. Yeah, I, I, I actually thought that was that was secured. Um, it's a it's a Seattle based company called Epic. Um, yeah, Epic. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yes, uh, they were being hosted through uh, Amazon Web Services, which you know, not advertising, but that's where our website's hosted. Actually, from what I like, I kind of dug up too on this Ars Technica mm -hmm. uh, article about this parlor uh, thing is that like in the comments, someone cited that Epic is actually like hosts some of their stuff through AWS. Like that'll be interesting. Yeah. So AWS shut down hosting for this app, but they might be hosted by another company that does their hosting through AWS. Yeah. That'll be interesting if they find out and well, Amazon does have the proverbial or AWS does have the proverbial flesh eating lawyer. So if mm. there's any way that they can get out of that contract, but I, yeah. well, the thing that I find, find funny is that like, we all know that WhatsApp has had various security vulnerabilities, but I don't think any of them have uh, that WhatsApp's problems came out nearly as quickly as, as this. And they was not nearly as thorough a, an owning of a system. No, no. I, and I remember like when COVID uh, started and everyone bounced to Zoom, Zoom, you know, was yes. then the target of a lot of security incidents and they bounced back and, you know, patched things and everything because it was never meant to. Right. They didn't have in that capacity. Yeah, they didn't have uh, conference codes or anything like that. And so mm -hmm. it was fairly deterministic or it wasn't hard to guess a meeting ID, not a specific meeting ID, but any meeting ID and yeah, with yeah, no exactly. verification you could get in. And, and, I remember everybody scrambling to uh, redo the links when they redid things uh, mm -hmm. for all of your recurring meetings in yeah. order to make sure they, that somebody can't just jump into the Zoom call and, dro and drop uh, porn bombs or whatever. Yeah, yeah. All the Zoom bombing videos are pretty fun to watch on YouTube. Some <laughs> crazy stuff. So that brings us to when Amazon announced that they were going to be shutting that parlor. Um, I think they announced that, like, hey, by midnight, we're going to be shutting this down. And there is a, a security researcher, um, self-identified hacker by the handle of Donk Envy, who has been doing a lot of research in Parler, apparently, for like the past few months, ever since it kind of went live. So they noticed, like, oh, crap, they're going to shut this down. And uh, what she did was basically started scraping a lot of the data. Okay, so this is a pure this is a pure scrape. A lot of news sites say like, "Oh, it got hacked." It you know, yada yada mm -hmm. yada. It's not a hack. This was all publicly available information. Yeah. Because it turns out, Parler's API was completely open. It required no authentication. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we're ever going to do a thing on it, but like 
talk about web hacks from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It turns out uh, you should not have your API uh, just completely open to the world. Some of the common problems from the 90s were, hey, you know, nobody's going to figure out how to request the data. Therefore, mm -hmm. authentication doesn't need to be super strong. Um, there was at least one bank that had a problem where you'd authenticate to the site. And then if you changed the URL to offer up a different account number, it would let mm -hmm. you in. Um, mm -hmm. This is the same kind of thing, only probably worse because it probably doesn't authenticate a user at all. Yeah. So there wasn't there. There was a comment that I was reading, and I didn't make a note about it. Um, but it basically mentioned that the way Parler did a lot of its indexing was it didn't just generate like a random string per post, and so mm -hmm. it would be really hard to figure out like okay, like uh, they just sequentially auto they just sequentially indexed it apparently. Like, and if you got it wrong, it just kind of jumped to the next one for you. I well, think you know that's that's yeah, it, it's that's actually good programming. <laughs> <laughs> so what Donk Envy did was uh, she used a jailbroken iPad with uh, Ghidra. I think I'm saying that right. It's a G-H-I-D-R-A. Yeah, Ghidra. Okay. It's a piece of reverse engineering software uh, designed and publicly released by the NSA. So it's mm -hmm. not like she was using some super covert toolkit or anything like that. She tweeted out about the content she was scripting for Parallel and uh, you know, basically said, like, hey, there's a lot here, and I got till midnight. And the archive team, which is a volunteer collection of hackers and data researchers, they've saved a lot of uh, Was data. Was this archive.org? Uh, I think maybe. I'm not sure. So, I just have them listed as the archive team, but that's archive. their handle on Twitter too, is, I think. is the Wayback Machine and everybody mm -hmm. who cares about being able to get access to potentially deleted data on the internet should investigate uh, if they want to contribute to them. Uh, mm -hmm. But the Wayback Machine has saved me more time more than a few times and they would definitely know how to how to do this stuff they scrape the entire internet and they save the entire internet as it changes going back longer than i've been on the internet yeah apparently like you know they they all jumped jumped board and they were using uh volunteer uh twitter users um bandwidth to also pull down a lot of this data so all in all they got 56.7 terabytes worth of data excellent yeah so excellent data preservation work mm -hmm. So, like I said, the Parler API was uh, literally just wide open, no authentication whatsoever. You know, it was hosted on AWS, and AWS mm -hmm. does encrypt all this data, um, from my understanding. They encrypt it on the disks, which means yeah. that anybody who has physical access to it, as we were discussing earlier, can't get exactly. data off of a off of a drive. But that's data at rest, uh, as you were saying. That was, mm, that, yeah. and that's actually a really good point. All of these drive encryptions, that's data at rest in encryption. It means that if the drive is, is examined, they have to get past the cryptography. The problem is, a lot of cases, you have data online. If you've encrypted the drive and then you've, you've got a database and it's got a lot of credit card information on it, you've encrypted the drive and you've encrypted the table space, but you have an application that has permissions to the data and somebody can get a SQL injection to that, well, all of the crypto that you did is already unlocked. The application will go and fetch the data for you. And this is basically what happened here, is the data wasn't at rest. The data was accessible over the system. Um, you have to get into some actually fairly complicated crypto systems. None of the names come to mind, but people have designed them that give you a piece of encrypted information. And through a bunch of key management tricks, you're actually decrypting the message. Uh, PGP and any other encrypted email, you're decrypting at the point of viewing. If the system that you're accessing gives it to you 
in clear text, even if it's encapsulated like an SSL or something, SSL TLS, you still are getting past all of the encryption because you're asking a system that can give it to you unencrypted. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, all that encryption doesn't matter if yeah. the system that you're accessing is already doing all the decryption for you. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, if you had just steel windows around your house and massive steel plates between all the walls and then you just left the front door open and walked away. And well, in like, this case, oh, no, was someone that... got in my house to stole stuff. Or, you know, give them a key and then whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yes, in this, in this case, it was a lot more like uh, just leaving the door open because the system itself didn't secure the data. So not only did was was this all happening um, where they were able to just scrape all this data, I did read an article where someone else had found a way of basically scripting. Uh, one, um, I believe Parler just kind of lets you know if a user is an admin or not. So they scripted out a method to figure out who were admins on Parler and who were. Um, so there was a lot of confusion. Like the, a lot of people thought Donk MB um, had hacked like an admin account and they'd use that to scrape all this data. That, that's mm -hmm. not the case. Like Reddit had just jumped on board and gone crazy as Reddit does sometimes. Reddit and, jumped to conclusion? Yeah, Darn exactly. Reddit? Go figure. So that was all going on. Someone else was script. Like you could just use the API, I guess, to just create user accounts. So they were just mm -hmm. spamming Parler, just creating like users just like over and over and over again. Just they're like basically uh, DDoS it. So they didn't have, so, I mean, an API is just a way of giving a command to a website. Now, a lot of systems will stop things like that from happening by rate limiting stuff requests from an IP or otherwise causing a time drag, like forcing you to hit a um a verification email, yeah. which makes sure that you have an email address. They probably blacklist uh, some domains or domains that don't meet certain validation criteria. And when we talk about the protocol breakdown of SMTP, which is the protocol that email goes by for those at home. Um, and we'll talk about how some of that validation works. But um, part of the reason for that is to prevent the system from allocating a ton of accounts. It makes you have some return on it. Sounds like they didn't do any of that either, which is, again, hacks from the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Go figure. The super secure application uh, didn't do that or you know, basically anything security else. was a sticker they put on the side of it yeah exactly so on top of that so when you upload you know a photo to twitter um instagram and stuff like that a lot of these services they what they'll do is they'll scrub your geolocation data like all the metadata mm -hmm. from the picture parlor yeah. didn't do that <laughs> so That's a lot of these photos brilliant. that people took had the in the videos had all the geolocation data embedded in them I think that there might even be the data, a phone identifiable information, like a, a serial number or something like that. Uh, yeah, probably. They uh, made no effort in scrubbing any of the stuff. Yeah. So like, I would worry unless I examine the header the, the header myself and I have a scrubber program for anything I upload. Um, mm -hmm. I And so I have don't recall looking at it, but I'd be worried at this point, haven't looked at it, that mm -hmm. there is PII information, especially if I was doing something that I thought law enforcement would be interested in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also, another fun fact, um, on Parler, if you were to delete your post, your post was never actually removed. Uh, your post well, that's just... actually true of, of, of pretty much every... every, uh, every... I thought like a lot of them would actually trash your... Um... Storage is cheap and, and data is gold. Yeah, so <laughs> a lot of the posts that people deleted because they might have been uh, quote-unquote pretty um, 
violent in nature or fairly interesting to the FBI. Uh, they thought they had deleted them. A parlor just marked them as invisible, so they couldn't see them and no one else could. Uh, but this scrape basically pulled all this up. Yes. Well, like I said, that at least is not uncommon. What is uncommon is that somebody other than parlor could see it because their API yeah. didn't have any real authentication to it. But do not expect any cloud service to ever delete anything that, that uh, you put up there unless they explicitly say they will or you basically serve them with a notice to do so. There was a big thing in in Britain about the or I, was it a Britain or EU the um the right to be forgotten. Yeah, I think it was the EU. I think it's the EU. Yeah. yeah, that whole thing came about because uh, none of these services will delete things mm-hmm. unless you tell it because storage is cheap. But remember the 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 old mantra: if you're getting it for free, you are not the customer; you are the product. Yeah, the data that you generate is something that's interesting to them. Uh, for yeah. whatever reason, from figuring out social graphs to things as as crazy as uh, all you know the the picture captures the mm-hmm. the recaptures as yeah. like where are the traffic lights yeah what they're doing is they're testing their AI for identifying traffic lights by running it past humans yeah yeah exactly and Duolingo does something very similar for translations yeah so um out of the what did i say uh 56.7 terabytes worth of data uh there's 1 million raw video files just in there and another thing uh don can be um tweeted out uh january 9th um she said basically the lack of moderation on parlor is not the issue they actually have very robust moderation tools and all new users actually start out shadow banned until enough of their posts get approved for right think by their user moderator so basically, every user shadow banned until you get enough upvotes, and then you become a legitimate user, which is pretty shady. Yeah. Well, uh, the funny thing is, from a legal perspective, they have proven that they had a moderation system, so mm. they might have some serious liability. Yeah. So they, they've already, um, I think the archive team or someone mentioned that there's already a torrent of all this data out in the wild. Uh, someone mm. compiled the torrent and just threw it out and said, like, it's out there now. Have fun. Um, and a lot of other security researchers are taking this data and parsing it together. I imagine in the near future, you're going to have like just a web app to be like, hey, are my friends Nazis.com? And you can just input a bunch of information or were, was my family at the Capitol like January uh, 6.com or something like that? I think that that's potentially very interesting information. I don't have a system here at home that can handle that level of data right now. And I don't think anybody's parsed out like just the image files, just the text, mm-hmm. or just the video. Um, you know, they, they like, mentioned, uh, John yeah. Kenby did say like, you know, these photos can be used for, you know, we can put this into Google photos and, you know, and extrapolate information there or any other like AI program to figure out like who these people are. And I mean, it does call into question privacy, um, mm-hmm. but a lot of this information can be used by the FBI to, um, you know, track down a lot of people that perpetrated certain crimes. Yeah. Like there was the one guy with the, um, I, can't, I can't remember what his beanie said. There were three initials, but he's being mm-hmm. um, sought by the FBI in, uh, in conjunction with the murder of the Capitol Guard. Well, I mean, you commit a murder, <laughs> but yeah. I, I'm thinking immediately about having all of that real image data, the metadata that you, the, the metadata that you were talking about uh, in the images and being able to tie that to, a user ID, even if you can't necessarily attribute the user ID, scraping that out is not that difficult. The Python script and then throwing mm-hmm. it into 
uh, Elasticsearch lets gives you a data set that might be interesting just on its own merits. The tools that they use to do all the scraping are just like they're public. Um, they're on yeah. the GitHub page for archive team, and mm -hmm. it's called Parlor Dash Grab. And they they have some other tools. Uh, I think one was called Warrior, but they have like an entire um, write up on like how to use it and everything. Not that you can use it anymore because the platform has been uh, dehosted for right now. There's probably some code reuse to be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's all I have on uh, the events of the past week. I'm sure in another week, you know, we'll have. I mean, we won't because we'll be talking about something else. But more and more stuff will come leaking out. You know, in the next yeah. week or two, or even further down the road. Well, one of the things that I was when we you were talking about doing this episode that I that I remember from some of the stuff that I've seen is some stuff about uh, putting Trojans on iPhones and Androids. The, uh, there have been various international actors that have used that to suppress dissidents or track dissidents, um, mm -hmm. use those intelligence tools. And I do know that while there was some really scary ones uh, that utilized some Apple zero days, pretty much every law enforcement has tools available or all of the national level law enforcement in America has access to tools that can Trojan your phone if they have physical access to it. And yeah. I'd be worried about, that was one of the things that I also worried about on this. It's not just the computers and, or even the tablets, it's the phones. And nowadays your phone is more important than your computer for a lot of things. It is uh -huh. the token that allows you access to lots of stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. It's not just your, your, your Steam or Blizzard authenticator. It's also your RSA token. It's also your Google, your Google authenticator. Um, uh -huh. And Stuff it's like that. It ties, so, it ties into your bank, get mm -hmm. all your banking information. You might have like your password management uh, or safe on there that stores all your yeah. passwords for all of your online accounts. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not sure that that's a bad idea. I have some quibbles with implementation, but it allows for much stronger authentication than we had previously using passwords with some of the famous problems of everybody, of people using the same password everywhere or people using weak passwords. And no one's going to lug around like an RSA token. Like I remember, um, mm -hmm. I think in the cataclysm days of World of Warcraft, you actually had like, you could buy yeah. a little authenticator that came in the mail. And oh man, I think I lost mine one time and I was, I was like, crap, well, I can't get into the game now. That's cool. I eventually found it like hours later. But yeah, there are physical tokens that you can use. Actually, uh, you were telling me about some stuff that you did on one of your projects of using YubiKeys as. Mm -hmm. um, as tokens and that's a uh, best practice with how to manage a lot of your cloud accounts is to have YubiKey authentication for at the very least the root, but wouldn't hurt if it's everybody that had access to the cloud account. Yeah, exactly. So yes, we, we, we do look around tokens, at least some of us. <laughs> yep. Three years ago, I had, I think like 15 tokens strapped to my badge. Now most of the stuff is PIP, but I still have like three or four lingering around. Yeah. Piv or or, or uh, phone phone level tokens, but yeah, go ahead. I would, I would say all of this is a lesson that um, you know, even now in uh, 2021, we have people getting hacked with like old old methods of uh, hacking. Yeah. It turns out that that old hacks don't go away; they just embarrass people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs 1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon.